Please stay standing with me and let's uh, read today's sermon scripture. It comes from Exodus 13. We'll go with verses 1 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Haviv, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall, therefore, keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord, all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself and your purposes in your word. And as we look at this passage, would you please send your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to you. Be with Pastor Andrew as he presents, also with your congregation as we hear, consider, and apply your word to our daily lives. Please cause your message to stick with us as we go into this next week. Our desire is that we would continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you, both at the intellectual level, but also at the heart level. I pray that we would find rest in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome and good morning. Wow, I got some work to do this morning, I guess. Uh, as, we, uh, as we approach this, we're in the middle of a story. Uh, 
you know, the bigger story, of course, is the Exodus, God leading his people out of the land of Egypt. We spent several weeks looking at the, uh, the conflict that happened between God and the gods of Egypt. Uh, here we are in sort of a three-episode set. Uh, the first episode we looked at last week was the actual freedom uh, that the Israelites received. Uh, this week we are going to look at the formation with which God applies to them. And next week we're going to look at how they are set to follow him as they go. So freedom, formation, and following. So today is formation. And it's a really interesting passage because in the whole grand scheme of things, we come to 1242, God led them out of the land of Egypt. And then from 1243 to 1316, the passage that we read today, we have this reinstitution of the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the importance of the consecration of the firstborn. Now, why does God do this? Why why does God stop, as it were, the action as they are moving out of Egypt and then moving towards the promised land immediately after they get out of Egypt and begin telling them about feasts and all of that? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. And the first, uh, to, to quote William Faulkner in uh, Requiem for a Nun, is that the past is never dead. The past is not actually the past. You see, we are in a story. And, and what God, one of the things that God wanted to impress upon his people is that it's an ongoing story. It, it's not just something, even something as huge and monumental as the Exodus, is not just something that happened back there somewhere. It was something that they were to continue to, to take into themselves and be participators in and, and have shaped them, form them into the people that God wanted them to be. And the second thing, go to another southern author here in order to get us there, is because we need that. Here is Walker Percy in his book, Lost in the Cosmos. The subtitle of, of this book is The, the Last Self-Help Book. Uh, it, it's a parody. Percy likes to take truth and, and sort of subvert it into our thinking sideways. He doesn't say it straight. He tells it slant. Uh, and so he's parodying self-help. And what he says is this. We live in a deranged age. Now keep in mind, this was some 30 years ago that he's saying some of this. More deranged than usual because... Despite great scientific and technological advances, man has not the faintest idea of who he is and what he's doing. This is our, this is our great human problem. Uh, we're placed here, but we don't know why. We're, we're placed here, we can't figure it out. And particularly what uh, Percy drives at is with all of the self-help, with all of the information that we get, to put it in a modern context, from folks like Dr. Phil to Phil Donahue, from Disney to Oprah to Rachel Hollis to whoever, we, we're starting with ourselves, and, and we, we have a hard time 
have a hard time deciphering actually who we are and what we're doing here. He goes on to say, or he says it in a different way, one of the peculiar ironies of being human, uh, of being a human self in the cosmos, is a stranger can approach you in the street and will in a second glance see you whole. He'll size you up, place you in a way that you yourself cannot and never will, even though you've spent a whole lifetime with yourself, even though you live actually in the century of self. And therefore, you ought to know yourself best of all. But we struggle with that. And what we need, and this is Percy's point in Lost in the Cosmos, I believe, is that we need a word from the outside. You can't start with yourself to know yourself. It's not about following your heart. Sorry, Disney. Uh, it's not about, you know, diving deep and, and understanding your greatest fears and longings. We, we need a word from outside of ourselves, from our creator, dare I say, uh, in order to help us understand who we are and what our purpose is. And this is exactly what we see here. So Israel, remember, slave nation, 430 years. What they wore, what they ate, what they did, everything reflected on their slavery. A and so as they are coming out, the only thing that they know is slavery. A and so they are going to continue in that mode of being unless they are shown something different. And so this is why God stops them. And he says, I want you to remember. I want you to know. Here is the word, the formation that you need in order to be the people that I am calling you to be. And this is exactly what, you know, sort of the nature of our worship and, and what it is that we come. We come here because we desperately need a word from outside of ourselves. We are lost in the cosmos, so to speak. A and we need a word that helps shape us to the people that God is calling us to be. Now, three observations about that. Uh, the first is, is this. What God is calling us to remember is that we are integrated people. It's very interesting if you uh, look at all of this, and again, we read 1 to 16 of chapter 13, but I'm including uh, 1243 as well uh, to the end of that chapter. So you have these instructions about the Passover, you have the instructions about uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the consecration of the firstborn. It's all very tangible, isn't it? I mean, God tells them what to wear. God tells them what to eat and how to eat it. God tells them uh, to circumcise. God tells them to sacrifice. I mean, there, there is blood, tangibility, everything. This is important. We tend to think of spirituality as sort of separate from our material world. We, we tend to think about our relationship God, with God in the spiritual realm, and, and therefore we can oftentimes operate very dualistically when it comes to our material realm. Uh, 
this, of course, is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, what God says to us in the spiritual realm, he very much wants to come into the material realm. And so he's helping Israel to understand that. And he's saying, this is going to have implications for you. You know, being the people that I am calling you to be, being this former slave nation now set free, it's going to have implications for what you wear, what you eat, all of the things that you do. And so here we stand in the 21st century, uh, and, and we acknowledge the same thing. God is calling us to an integrated life. We can't just have a sort of nebulous spiritual relationship with God that exists either deep in our undefined spirit or out there in the nebulous reality that doesn't touch down into our material world. God is saying, uh, believe in me, follow me, and allow that to shape the way that you live your life. So, for instance, uh, we cannot simply believe in God, have a relationship with God, and just spend our resources however we want. You know, there is a correlation to what we believe and how we behave in the, in the material world. Uh, this is not saying that you can do this and you can do that, you can't do that, uh, but what it's saying is, is we have a responsibility to see those connections. We have a responsibility to pray through how we're going to use our resources. We have a responsibility to be thoughtful about whether we're going to buy a Ford or a Cadillac or a Nissan or a Jeep. All of those things. These things matter to God. You know, it matters to God what sort of art we put on our uh, walls of our home. It matters to God the entertainment choices that we make. All of these things matter because God isn't simply an idea. And God hasn't simply sort of given us a material world that is separate from a spiritual world. You know, as Schaefer, Francis Schaefer said, one who is so influential in the history of Christ Church, I mean, he came to blow the doors off, you know, this, two, this idea of, a, of, a, of an upper story and a lower story. It's one story, uh, and, and we belong in it in an, as, an integrated, as an integrated whole. Now, you can clearly go about this the wrong way. The Israelites took a lot of the things that God said very seriously. Uh, it says in verse 9, uh, and then again in verse 16, uh, It shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. And then again in verse 16, It shall be as a mark on your hand and the frontlets of your eyes. The Israelites wore things called phylacteries. And these phylacteries were sort of leather pouches which they had the, the word of God in or around their foreheads. And, and they literally said, this is going to mark us. Now, Jesus referred to this in Matthew chapter 23 when he's saying these things are not going to save you. And these things, if we, if we overly impress the physical, are actually going to become burdens and they're going to lead us away from the free grace of the gospel. Uh, but what the Jews misinterpret, we have to be careful not to go the other way. We have to be careful to say what God is saying here 
is that our faith is supposed to be so integrated into who we are that the world will be able to see it. That it will be evident that we are living not according to the philosophies and ideologies of the world, but we are part of a story, the story of Jesus Christ. So help us, you know, as we pray about this, our our prayer is, Lord, help us to understand what it means to be so integrated, that it is so clear the way we think, the way we dress, the way we purchase, all of these things, that we belong to Jesus. Now, one of the ways that we're helped in this is uh, God gives us to a community. Last week I said in passing, we are not ourselves by ourselves. Uh, This is very, very true. And God emphasizes this to us here uh, as he is now giving communal instructions for remembrance. We oftentimes think, we even approach sacraments this way, that it's sort of an individual thing, like it's my responsibility to remember what God has done for me. We just live in the age of self, uh, according to Percy. Uh, We live in the age of individualism. And and God is, (coughs) if I can say it very respectfully this way, he is fighting desperately uh, in order for us to see that it's not about ourselves. We have to swim upstream here. Uh, everything in America, everything in the West is this follow your heart, be your own person, express yourself. And, and God is saying, no, you are a community. You are a people, plural, unto me. And, and this is one of the great gifts that God gives us in order to help us remember. He gives us to each other. And it's interesting, so often, uh, these large redemptive moments, thinking through who we are before the Lord, how many of them happen at meals? So you remember Abraham, Genesis chapter 14, uh, fighting the the battle of the five armies, uh, rescuing Lot, and God delivers them. And then this strange figure, Melchizedek, uh, comes out, the king of Salem, and he, and he sits down and he has a feast uh, with Abraham to celebrate the Lord's deliverance. We come to Passover. Passover is celebrating uh, the Israelites' deliverance out of Egypt. The context is a feast, a, a family meal. Uh, we come to the, the New Testament interpretation of the Passover, and we have the Lord's Supper. Jesus sits down and, and has a meal with his disciples, and he tells them to continue to do this in remembrance of me. Come around this meal. And as we are headed on into the eschaton, into the, the final days, what are we headed for? We're headed for the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're headed to the Lord's eternal table. It's always a meal. Why why is it a meal? Well, I think there's several reasons for this. You know, one, a a meal is just such a tangible picture, especially the meal which you are inviting people to come and you're opening up the bounty of the table. You remember Jesus talking to his disciples, I think it's Luke 14, uh, when he specifically tells them about party planning. 
He says, when you give a feast, go out into the highways and the byways and talk to the crippled, the lame, the poor, the mute. Invite them to the feast. In fact, compel them to come in. Yeah, it's such a gospel opportunity to be welcoming and hospitable and to invite people into our homes. And, and God says you are to be people that are shaped around a table. Uh, invite people into that place. Because it's at the table that we are, are more clearly able to see ourselves uh, through the eyes of others. God speaks to us through the eyes of others. You know, we may sit at the table, Gabriella, you seem very happy today. What happened? I reflect back to my daughter, some of her happiness. Or, as sometimes happens, uh, Dad, you seem really grumpy today. What happened? Uh, it's reflected back to me, and I, I, I see myself in a way that I can't see myself by myself. Uh, we, we need one another, and the table merely becomes a picture then of our community together. We, we need each other. We need each other when we're sick. We need each other uh, when, <coughs> when we're walking through a dark time. We always need those very practical things, but I need you. You need me. We need each other to reflect back who we are what our purpose in this world is, to help ourselves remember. And those types of things happen so clearly around a table. You know, for the Israelites, the other thing that happened around the table was the identification with the sacrifice. You know, when we come around the table, especially when they came around the table, there was a very clear sense that they were eating an animal who died in the place uh, of, of one of their own. You know, we're eating this lamb, and because we're eating this lamb, Andrew, a firstborn son, is still with us eating this lamb. Uh, and, and there was a clear identification that there was substitution that took place. Same is true every time we come around the Lord's table. You know, we eat this to remember that we would have died in and of ourselves. But, but it's a clear remembrance that substitution took place, that, that Jesus died in order that we might live. And, of course, the table is always meant for nourishment as well. Uh, nourishment in that it sends us out into the community. And so Jesus says, God, Yahweh, comes to his people and says, I want you to be shaped as people of the feast. I want you to be shaped around uh, the table. And when you do, tell the story. You see it in verse 8. Uh, you shall tell your son and daughters on that day. It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Or later on in, in verse 14. In the time that's to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house uh, of slavery. Our, our mealtime, our community is to be times of, of, of passing down. And we all have that responsibility. We have that responsibility in our home. You know, Greg, my buyer previously, uh, or just at the beginning of the service, says one of the things that they're seeing in responses from men is, is just that desire to be uh, spiritual leaders. A and how do we do that? 
And, and the scriptures affirm that. Like we have that responsibility as, as fathers and grandfathers and uncles and uh, brothers in the Lord. We have the responsibility. Not that women don't. But, but men have that responsibility to tell, to share, to talk about their own experience. Look at, let me tell you what the Lord did for me. And I know that can be intimidating. I, I know that sometimes we feel like I'm not book smart. I don't have all the answers. But, but part of what God is calling us to is to live this integrated life where we're following God. And now it's not that I am giving you some theological truth that I memorized back in Bible school somewhere, but I am giving you my experience. I was lost, but now I'm found. I, I, I didn't have a story or a purpose or a meaning, but now I have one. And let me share it with you. We have that responsibility in the community. One writer, Phil Riken, in his commentary on this, puts it this way. The task, this task of sharing the story, has been entrusted to all, every adult in God's family, the church. It is our responsibility to teach children and one another the Bible, to teach its theology, to speak with each other about spiritual things, to share our personal testimonies of faith in Christ, to explain the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and, to, and in every way to give the gospel of God and his salvation. We are not ourselves by ourselves. We, we need each other desperately. And God, as he is leading his people out into following him, a place where he knows there's going to be lots of distractions, where he knows that there are going to be temptations to fall away, to not believe, to not belong. He is forming them and saying, you need each other. Now continue to, to lean into each other and don't, don't be sucked into living an individual Christianity. You need each other. Now, the third thing, what we need is a, uh, a participation in the story. You remember, <coughs> sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, he says, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, he is not talking about transubstantiation. Uh, but he's talking about the way in which the story becomes a part of us. And this is one of the things that God wants his people to remember. Not only is it to affect you in a material realm, not only is it to affect you as a community, but you are to be so captured by its themes that you love the one who is telling the story. Now there are some hard themes here. Here's where we come to the consecration of the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of God, both man and beast is mine. And then we see the consecration, the purpose of that consecration coming uh, in in verse 11 and following, all the firstborn of your man animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you're not going to redeem it, you shall break its neck. 
Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall also redeem. God is telling a story, and it's a story of redemption. It's such a key word here in this passage. He's telling the story about a clean and an unclean. He's telling a story through animals uh, about what it means to be holy as God is. We sang it this morning, holy, holy, holy. And what it means to be profane or common. See, all of these uh, terms, as God will develop this throughout the book of Leviticus, he'll talk about the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. These are categories that God is using to teach his people. And here they, they have an introduction to this, that there is an uncleanliness in this world. It's symbolized by the donkey here. I feel bad for donkeys, uh, and I don't totally understand, you know, what seems to be sort of arbitrary split hooves and all of these different things. But God is teaching us that there is clean and there is unclean, that he is holy and we are profane. And, and, and this is information we need. Again, you are going to be lost in the cosmos if you do not know that information. If you do not recognize that God is holy and you are not, you are going to struggle to make sense of your life. You're going to struggle to find the right path because you are going to start with yourself. You're going to have an undue confidence in yourself, and you're going to find yourself going in wrong directions. We need this information desperately that says God is holy and we are not. And he gives us this picture with the donkey, the donkey either needs to be redeemed by a lamb or it's going to have its neck broken. And, and, and this is the picture that God was teaching the, the stubborn Egyptians and the Israelites as well in the Passover. You either need to be redeemed by the blood of a lamb painted on the lintels and the doorposts or the destroyer will stop at your house. And it will take justly the firstborn of your family because that firstborn is going to pay for the hardness of heart that exists within this family. You saw that there. Pharaoh is the picture for when Pharaoh, verse 15, stubbornly refused to let the people of God go, the Lord killed the firstborn. Pharaoh had every opportunity, ten plagues, count them, ten it wasn't just one. It wasn't just a whisper in the night. God was shouting from the heavens. He was saying, follow me, submit to me. And Pharaoh, as a picture, a federal head of Egyptians and all those who would come after the Egyptians, stubbornly refused to bow the knee before Yahweh. And Yahweh said, here's the deal. Either you trust the Lamb or you pay the price for your own sin. And this is the story that we're in. This is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is a Lamb, spotless, without blemish, who died in our place, who made us to be the people of God. Every single one of us, like the unclean donkey, deserved to have our neck broken. 
But God provided the lamb. God himself became the sacrifice. He didn't just, he didn't just take on sin. He became sin. Him who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the question for those of us lost in the cosmos. What is the ticket home? What is the ticket to the way in which we should go? It's the Lamb. Have you seen the Lamb? Have you believed in the Lamb? Are you holding on to desperately the Lamb and His finished work? This is the way through the cosmos. This is the way that we are found. This is the way in which we experience the love of God. And it does come back to the love of God. Isaiah 43 some of you are very familiar with this. It's uh, been made into song. We sing it here at Christ Church. When you walk through the waters, they'll not overcome you. When you pass through the fire, you'll not be burned. Remember that song. Uh, here is what God says. And note, this is very much tied up with the Exodus and the themes of the Exodus. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, the One who is clean and holy, uh, your Savior. Listen to what he says next. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. These are difficult things that we are wading into right here. God was willing to show his power and his glory in the taking of the firstborn by the destroyer. Again, you know, we un we, there are things here we don't understand. We do understand that God is just. We do understand that he is good. We do understand that Pharaoh stubbornly refused to bow the knee to God. But nonetheless, Egypt paid a price. Cush and Seba paid a price. Why? Because, listen to what the Lord says to his people. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Because of this, I give men in return for you. It's an amazing thing to think about here for those of us lost in the cosmos. There are many things that we don't understand. But what God, the author of our life, the redeemer of us, is speaking to us this morning is, you are precious in my sight and honored. And I love you. I love you. This story that you are in, this grand drama that involves lambs and the lamb of God, this sin that marked you that has now been replaced by righteousness is all because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. We need to hear this because we, we need the nourishment that this story brings. We, we need the motivation to move through the cosmos. We, we need the pathway 
that we need to follow because there are so many things that we just sang about it. You know, we, 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 we wander because of the, the midnight, when our midnight meets our sun. Jesus, draw us ever nearer because I labor through the storm. And God says to us this morning, come close. You who are honored and precious in my sight. You who I love. And, and that invitation is for all who will behold the Lamb. Behold this Lamb. He takes our sins away. Eat, drink, Remember, behold this lamb. Become part of the community. Behold this lamb. Turn yourself away from everything that this world has to offer you and may be presenting to you and teaching you. And understand that our greatest, our greatest word comes from the one who made the cosmos. And he can tell us how to find our way home. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of <laughs> Apollo. Okay, good. It's a little worried about you there for a minute. 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, the, the lunar landing. Uh, first person walked on the moon, Buzz Aldrich. Here's what he said. Well, one of the first people, he was on it. Uh, in, the kneel, in the stillness of the... Now I'm worried about myself, right? Uh, in, uh, in, in the stillness after the dramatic lunar landing, Aldrin radioed back to Earth. And he said, this is the LM pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours to give thanks in his or her own way. And then in the silence surrounding him, Aldrin quietly read from John's gospel, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he took the bread and the wine that he had brought specifically for that occasion. It's interesting, isn't it? The height of human achievement, scientific technology, literally in the cosmos. And Aldrin is looking for something beyond to speak to him. Here's how the author puts it. It's a striking thing that in this moment of astonishing human achievement, perhaps the zenith of scientific endeavor to that point in time, a key player in the drama was reaching for something spiritual to make sense of the experience. Beyond the intricate planning, the complex equations, the stunning technology required to get to that place, in a moment of sheer wonder and awe, the human tendency to reach for the non-material ways to interpret what is going on is undeniable. We are always reaching for that which is beyond ourselves. You don't have to go to the moon to realize the reality of an author of the cosmos that is showing you the way. Because that author has come to us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is Yahweh who led us out of Egypt 
with a strong hand. And he says, will you trust? Will you find yourself in that story? Because it's a story that will take you all the way home. Let's pray. Father, we want to come home. We want to get around the table. We want to eat with you. We want to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we, we long for home. So we pray that you would connect us again to your story. That you would remind us that we're not ourselves by ourselves. That we're not ourselves apart from the finished work of the Lamb. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for our purpose, or for that purpose, to redeem us as your people. We pray now that you would help us to believe it, to belong to your people, to belong, most importantly, to you, and to live out a life that shouts this good news to those around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.